0: Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Nicola Everett.
1: Hello, hope you're okay. on Wednesday, the 1st of February, a day that's seen hundreds of teachers in Kent go on strike. Marches and rallies have been taking place across the county as they call for more pay. It's left many schools either completely or partially closed and parents having to arrange childcare or work from home. Well, our reporters have been out and about across the county speaking to teachers on picket lines, so let's take a whistle-stop tour of Kent to hear from them, starting in Canterbury, where Andrea Kite is the rep for the National Education Union.
0: If this pay rise isn't fully funded by the government, it comes from our school budget, which means that we'll have less money available to do the that we really want to do with our students and so our, our, our students will suffer. When staff leave mid-year they won't be replaced and that's the, that's the issue so it's always for our students to
1: give them a better education. These teachers have been on the picket line outside Northfleet
2: School for Girls. I just think it's really important that people understand um, what our message
0: is, that it's not just about us wanting more pay, it is about wanting school funding. Uh, we need our schools to be fully funded, we're at the point in the year where I can't give out
2: you know textbooks to my kids anymore because we've run out of them. Um, I'm bringing resources in from home. We're not just here for the money, we care massively about our students we want to make sure they've got the best possible futures and educations and the government need to fund us properly to allow us to do that. I see staff as union rep being literally overworked and then their pay doesn't reflect what they're working and it's just things injustice really that we are kind of put through that and then almost made to feel guilty because our students are like our second kids in a way for us. And we want. of course we want to be there for them, but also we want to be recognised for how much work we put into the future of our like, world.
1: And groups have been gathering in Maidstone.
2: So I'm striking today um, on behalf of a lot of my colleagues, past and present, also here for myself. Um, I'm a primary music specialist now, uh, but was a class teacher before. The schools that I work in, as much as they are so supportive, and I love them all very much, and um, we just don't have the we just don't have the funding um, to be able to to fully resource by subject. I'm getting emotional because it's just, yeah, it's, uh, it's a big thing.
0: <laughs>
3: I have worked in schools in the past recently where entire departments are staffed by people who are not subject specific. They've been drafted in from other places. We just need some investment.
0: I'm new to the teaching career and I think having come from a uh, commercial and private background, I've realised how difficult teaching is. And I trained during COVID and there was lots of respect during COVID and now I've realised that actually lots is taken for granted and schools are totally underfunded, as well as teachers that have worked in the career for years not being paid anywhere near what I think is reasonable or enough.
4: I believe that teachers aren't as valued as much as they should be. They deserve more for what they do. We don't want to disrupt the students' uh, education, but I think we have to take a stand and show the government how upset we are with the situation.
1: For a bit more in-depth now on why teachers have walked out today, we've been speaking to Chris Lilly, who's a member of the NEU in East Kent.
5: One of the biggest issues we've got is recruitment and retention. The government, in terms of its its teacher training, has missed its target every year for 10 years. Um, and then in specific areas and subjects, there's a real, real shortage of teachers. The profession itself is not an attractive proposition for graduates. And one of the issues is the salary. We're competing against other industries who are offering better salaries, better conditions. And I think that this this is the knock-on effect. And I think if you spoke to many, many parents, they'd be able to tell you about their classrooms, uh, the class of their children not being taught by the same teacher all the time or supply teachers being brought in or cover uh, and gaps gaps in the, the the continuity of their education nearly one-third of teachers who qualified in the last decade have quit I mean that is a huge number of teachers and we're not getting them in at the front door to start to start the training at the same time um, obviously naturally people get older and retire but but that's not the case we we're losing teachers when they're quite young uh, and going off into into other professions
1: now, the government has said it would be irresponsible to increase wages in line with inflation. Let's hear from the Education Secretary, Gillian Keegan. When you look at
0: teachers and teachers' pay, when you actually look at uh, teachers' sort of things that irritate teachers or things that they want change in, it's always uh, workload, um, behaviour sometimes, and uh, other aspects of bureaucracy, as well as looking at pay to make sure that we can recruit the very best and retain teachers as well. So what we've said to them is, look, we cannot... As a country, we cannot put, um, you know, for some parts of society an inflation or inflation plus rise, which, you know, many people are striking for. What we have to do is halve inflation. That's the most important thing, or get it even lower than that. And then everybody in the country will benefit. We can't bake in inflation, which is what will happen if we, you know, we start to get wages uh, spiralling out of control in inflationary uh, or, or even more than inflation rises so that is the huge focus for this year but what we've said to them is you know we accept and we've worked with them a lot on recruitment and retention challenges in the past we said you know we will look at future pay we will look at workload we will look at um, flexibility the teachers also want to look at more job sharing and flexibility we look at all of those things that's the point of calling them in because we can we believe get something which would be fair to teachers uh, and we're always looking to be constructive you know we we want our children to have the best education in the world that means we need to attract people into teaching and we need to retain people and motivate people a
1: number of schools in kent as you may well know are academies two of them on Sheppey and in gillingham are run by oasis and i've been speaking to founder steve chalk
4: Uh, there's absolutely no difference in terms of funding between schools that are run by local authorities and schools that are academies academy Gains, as they sometimes get called, I don't like that term, or academy families really act as local authorities. In Oasis, there are 52 schools. So, if you like, we're an educational authority. We're not local because our schools stretch around the country, but we're an educational authority with 52 schools and we get exactly the same funding. And have exactly the same responsibilities and obligations. The government
1: are trying to put uh, putting through legislation to try and prevent um, certain key workers from striking. I mean, what what are your views on on the right to strike as far as teachers are concerned?
4: Many of my very good friends and members of the NEU, they're my colleagues. You know, I love them. I work with them, and they love children. Um, this strike is happening because there have been so many requests um, for the resources going into the classroom to be really looked at. And I don't know if you know this, but 40% of all teachers leave the profession within the first five years of joining the profession. We are unable as a nation to retain teachers because of our really tough working conditions. People join um, education because they want to nurture children, but they get ground down in red tape And without the resources to do the job. So I think that the unions or this union, the NEU, and perhaps there'll be others that follow. And in Scotland, there are others that are striking. They're motivated not by a selfish ambition, not in my view. They're motivated by desire to say enough is enough. We need resources in education that aren't there. And as I've already said, there's a long tail to all of this. If a nation, if a country, if a culture stops investing in the education of its young children, it will pay much more than it ever saved out in welfare and health costs and benefits.
1: Now, this isn't the only planned strike by teachers in Kent. They're also due to walk out on March the 2nd and again on the 15th and 16th of next month. Meantime, university staff in Kent are among 70,000 across the country walking out today as well. Members of the University and College Union are involved as part of a dispute over pay, pensions and working conditions. It involves lecturers at the Uni of Kent, Canterbury Christchurch and Uni of Greenwich's Medway Campus, Civil 7 are also walking out as their union calls for a 10% pay rise, better pensions and job security. The walkout has affected things like driving tests, along with work done by the Coast Guard and the Home Office. And Kent's rail network has been brought to a stop once again today as train drivers from two unions go on strike. RMT and ASLEF members have walked out in the first of two days of industrial action over pay. It means there are no trains running today or again on Friday. And Border Force officers in major ports, including Dover and Calais, are going to strike over half term. The PCS union has announced Four days of industrial action starting on the 17th of February. It could cause disruption for anyone using the ferries to go to or from France. So what do you think about all of this industrial action then? is something that hasn't been seen on this scale for a very long time. Well, I've been having a look at some of the comments on Kent Online today. Made in Kent says, Support the strikers. Public sector workers have suffered low pay for years despite being called key workers during the pandemic. Why is it only the bankers and CEOs that get decent pay rises? However, another commenter says... Not satisfied with the immense loss of class time that children have suffered over the last three years, largely as a result of teaching union demands, they add to it a disgrace. Baza has said hope the government do not give in to these public sector workers. They should be grateful they don't work in the private sector where workers are unable to strike. Stop trying to hold the country to ransom. And finally, Santos says teaching should be a worthwhile profession. A good teacher provides the inspiration for our children's careers and ultimately our country's prosperity. Well, we'd still love to know what you think. You can comment On the story itself at Kent Online or also via our socials. Kent
0: Online News.
1: Some more news away from the strikes now and it's emerged a man who died after crashing his motorbike on the A20 in Dover. It was almost twice at the drink drive limit at the time. One witness also suggested 38-year-old Ian Cowell had been racing an Audi when it happened not far from the port entrance last October. A driver who was arrested at the time was later released without charge. A man's been charged with sexually assaulting a woman in Dover. She told police she was attacked in a vehicle in the New Street area in the early hours of Sunday. A 30-year-old was arrested the following day and is due in court later. A new report has raised concerns about coastal communities like Margate being overlooked in the government's levelling up agenda. Now research has found household income in coastal areas is almost £3,000 a year lower than places in land with nearly one in five jobs paying below the living wage. Children are also less likely to pass their GCSEs in maths and English. sally Ann Hart is chair of the Parliamentary Committee that's been looking into the issue and has been speaking to Ish. We
3: do have some, some real deprivation in coastal communities but not all coastal areas of are the city same. so we need to actually look at it much more minutely in order to provide the right support and focus to those particular coastal communities in order for them to um, level up as it is uh, and we know the report highlights things such as uh, income for instance for instance but yeah. what do you think are the biggest challenge facing coastal communities at the moment going and, and going forward well, I think, you know, you've got cost of living, there's transport connection, there's health disparities, there's um, um, uh, a lack of diversity in jobs, uh, employment, skills and education. So there are huge challenges, but these are not challenges that can't be overcome if th- these coastal communities are given the right support and focus. So how how do we go about addressing these challenges? And, you know, you obviously the, the, the point about the report is highlighting um, how the levelling up policy needs to be more targeted, it, it, yes. that's where the onus lies. And I think that's absolutely right. So we just need uh, more granular data so that actually these coastal communities can be more specifically targeted. Um, We have to remember that challenges facing coastal communities have developed over years and therefore we're going to have to have long-term strategic planning and funding in order to overcome those challenges and I I think levelling up is absolutely fantastic but actually we need to have more long-term funding in order for um, for local communities, coastal communities to be able to um, reach their potential and I think that Um, one of the things is that the the opportunities are there. So, you know, we can look at the green economy, there's renewable job sector, we've got all the stuff about um, nature-based solutions to, um, let's say, flooding or carbon capture to help mitigate climate change. Um, There is so much potential in our coastal communities if they were just given the right support to do that. I mean, things like hybrid working as well, People can now live in our coastal communities and not commute every day. So there's the opportunity for people to live and work in coastal communities that perhaps wasn't quite so easily done before. And also the visitor economy. I mean, loads of our coastal communities really rely on tourism. Actually, our coastal communities are amazing. And if we could focus on really expanding our tourist economy and making it all year round, but actually having local businesses working with local authorities and destination management organizations to really think of amazing um, at the offer, the tourism offer they've got to, to visitors. So the potential is there. It's just unleashing it that's
1: key. Meantime, parts of Kent has been named today as one of the most stressed out places in England. Researchers say Thanet has some of the highest anxiety levels in the country and people scored below average for life satisfaction. The study is also based on things like average pay and working hours. Thanet was fifth on the list, which is topped by Blackpool. Kent Online reports. Turns out people have been travelling hundreds of miles to buy prime drink from a shop in Herne Bay that's now gone viral. The KM Convenience Store has more than 25,000 likes on TikTok after sharing videos showing they had the bottles in stock. Well, it's caused a huge sensation among young people, with one group coming down from Derby to get their hands on it. Cat owners in part of Chatham are keeping their pets indoors after some turned up with chunks of their fur shaved off. Several animals are thought to have been targeted in recent weeks. Medway-based charity Animals Lost and Found say they're monitoring the situation and urge anyone with information to contact the RSPCA. An investigation is underway after drivers complained about a glare coming off hoardings put up around a building site in Hythe. It's feared the sun bouncing off the whiteboards at Prince's Parade could dazzle a driver and cause an accident. You can see pictures of it by heading to the website today where the council have told us they're carrying out checks in all weather conditions next today and four sites on the high street between rochester and chatham have been given protected status an old brewery small cottage jewish burial ground and a tomb within it have been listed as grade two posy metz is the senior listing advisor at historic england and she's been speaking to our reporter amy tregenna they're
2: often a reflection of of um of life at the time the building was was built so it, it can it can vary quite wi- widely um some of the new listings that we've added, um, added to the list in Chatham recently, uh, one of which was a, a brewery. And this very much reflects the, the history and development of that area because it was an area in which um, there was a mixture of activities, but a lot of uh, commercial and industrial activities and brewing was actually quite a, a, a major activity in, in this area at that time. And it uh, the, the surviving building is actually the only building to survive um, from the brewing the history of brewing in that area um, as a a brewery. There's plenty of pubs, (laughs) but the actual activity of brewing. um, And and it it illustrates approximately 200 years of brewing history um, on that site. Um, So that's very interesting and it includes buildings that were at least sort of 200 years old and then as the brewery developed and changed, so it reflects that, that change. Um, so that's that's one example. i have spoken a bit about the brewery already, but there was also um, the cottage and the Jewish burial ground. Are you right to talk a little bit about those and why they were chosen? Yeah, sure. Um, well, the cottage is really interesting, actually, because, as I say, the, the area was very heavily used for for commerce. There was a lot of uh, commercial activity and industrial activity. But there were also a lot of domestic buildings and the, the nature of that area is such that The High Street developed between Rochester and Chatham. But then from the High Street, there were these little alleyways that developed down to the river. And of course, there was a lot of activity along the river's edge. And a lot of the the, um, industrial activity was associated with the river because it provided uh, access for import and export of, of goods. And down those little alleyways, as well as there being industrial sites like the brewery, there were also lots of little houses which sprung up. Often really tightly packed, very very small, just with tiny little front yards. Often backing directly onto other buildings. Um, many of which were were small and timber framed, and they've all been lost. But the cottage that we listed recently, um, part of the real interest of that is that it is actually pretty much the only fragment of that type of building surviving in that area. And it's rare. It's rare nationally, and that's the that's the important thing too. Is that it reflects very much the pattern of development in that area with these very small houses, but also it, it's rare because of its age. I mean, it's probably we think it, we don't quite know, we don't have an exact date, but it's probably late 19, uh, late 18th century, early 19th century, and it reflects a particular type of urban dwelling of this sort of, sort of very small cottage, um, many of which have now been lost, and this is this so this is a rare survivor. So that's, that's another example of the type of building that was in that area uh, historically. Uh, and then another listing, well, it was actually a, a registration, we added to the register of parks and gardens, the um, burial ground next to the synagogue. Now the synagogue's already listed at grade two star. This is one of these very important buildings. It's got a, a wonderful interior and had already, as I say, been, been recognized on the list previously, but we hadn't, we hadn't taken a look um, previously at the burial ground. And this is a really important site actually because this predates the synagogue. It's thought that the burial ground was probably, uh, probably started to be used in about 1760. Again, we don't have an exact date, Um, but the Jewish community in Chatham is one of the earliest and largest in, in sort of provincial Jewish communities in the country. And, and, and so this burial site is quite an important urban example. And it's also very unusual to have a, a burial site and the synagogue adjacent to one another. They're normally on separate sites. So it's a particularly rare example. So it's important to, to recognize the importance of that site. And also on the site is a particular, a tomb to a particular individual, Lazarus Magnus, who is the son of the benefactor of the synagogue and that's another really important monument. He was a very important local figure, not just in the Jewish community but also more widely than that. He was three times mayor of Queenborough, which is quite quite interesting, Um, so very active in the wider community as well as in the Jewish community. Um, so we also added to the list his monument, which stands in the in the burial ground.
1: This part of Medway was recently made a High Street Heritage Action Zone. It's been given money to bring buildings back into use. The opening date has been announced for a new pirate-themed playground in Dartford. Plenty of you reading this on the site today. Well, council bosses are spending £1.2 million on Buccaneer Bay in Central Park. Work started last November and a launch event is being planned for the middle of March. And there's a bit of Anger on Sheppey after this week's episode of crime drama Silent Witness. Some scenes were filmed on the island, but it's been renamed South Bay. Now, the head of the Sheerness town team says they could have done with the publicity to attract more tourists. We're told he's sending a strongly worded letter of complaint to the producers.
4: Kent Online Sports.
1: Football and, as expected, Gillingham did add to their squad on transfer deadline day. And with all the details, here's our football reporter, Luke Cordell. It
6: was a busy last day of the January transfer window for Gillingham, taking their monthly additions to 10. Two strikers have arrived. One was expected, one wasn't. Aidan O'Brien was the one that the fans really wanted and after it became clear he was ready to leave his club Shrewsbury and move closer to London home. Jill's got the deal done. He's 29. He's worked with um, Neil Harris, the Gillingham manager, before at Millwall. Um, In recent seasons he's been at Sunderland and Portsmouth. He's not had a great season this year, hit by injuries, lack of form. He's not really played much and he hasn't scored, but... Neil Harris will know how to get the best out of him from his time working with the lad at Millwall. Tristan Abrahams is a deal that was also done last night, one that came out of the blue, really. He's been at National League easily and doesn't have a, a great scoring record, but the club feel that he can be an asset to the striker department. So we'll see how that one goes. Both deals are, are loans. So, um, that well, deals done till the end of the season. Um, Gillingham are struggling for goals. Um, they've signed Ollie Hawkins and Tom Nichols, who have been playing up front recently, and it's it certainly made a difference. Gillingham scored seven goals in their first 23 games of the season, a terrible record, but they've scored seven in their last three now. So it certainly made a massive difference. Midfielder Tim um a great addition. Goalie Glenn Morris has joined permanently after a successful loan spell. And it'd be interesting to see Nichols and Morris facing their old team Crawley this Saturday. It's a ten thousand sellout at Priestfield for the weekend game. Jills might be second from bottom in league two, but there's a feel good factor around the club. There's a new owner, new players, new hope. And now it's down to those players to perform. Hopefully they will.
1: Thanks ever so much for that, Luke. But well, that's all from us for today. Thanks for listening. Don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and TikTok. You can also get details of the top stories direct to your email each morning via the briefing. And to sign up to that, you just need to head to kentonline.co.uk. Whilst you're on the site today, you can check out our rogues gallery of all the people locked up in the county over the past month.
0: News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast.